Welcome back again to Strange Days. This is part four of our series looking at critical theory. And uh, my name is Kyle. I'm joined by Rich Lundy again. And um, today we're looking at the, the, the idea of oppression through ideology or oppression through hegemonic power. And once again, we'll get into that. Um, but uh, if you are joining us and you haven't followed along so far, I would say it's probably a 99% good idea to go back and listen from the beginning because we're just jumping in and 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 putting now blocks on top of blocks as we build the sort of wall and picture of critical theory and so it's pretty essential that you have understood us so far and where we're coming from and have got the sort of foundations in place uh, that we've that we've laid so far rich we are going to talk about um the the nature of 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 the oppression that is um spelled out in critical theory now. Um, maybe you want to just kick off and um, start explaining uh, what hegemonic power is. Yeah. So hegemonic power, and depending on what circles you run, you may be familiar with this term, you may not be familiar with this term. Uh, so let, let's unpack it in a little bit of detail. It gives you some a, a shared understanding before we carry on going. So hegemony refers to the control of the ideology of society. Uh, and using language from Social Binary podcast, the last two we did, uh, the dominant group maintains power by imposing their ideology on everyone. The picture that the dominant group imposes their power through ideology on every single person in that society. Uh, and so from a critical social justice perspective, privilege is defined as systemically conferred dominance and the institutional processes by which the beliefs and values of the dominant group are made normal and universal. And that's Sensoi and uh, Angelo in Is Everyone Really Equal? So if you picture this, that the, the ruling group or the dominant group or the agent group is in, in some ways forcing people to do things in their way, and that is considered to be oppression. Uh, and Shinvi uh, says this is a crucial part of understanding what critical theory is because traditionally oppression is understood to refer to acts of cruelty, injustice, violence, and coercion. But in critical theory, it's expanded this definition that oppression includes ways in which the dominant social group imposes its norms, its values, and ideas on society to justify its own interests. And maybe here's some other quotes from uh, critical theorists that, that basically, uh, just in case you think we're making this up, here it is from, from scholars' mouths. Um, so Iris Young, uh, she writes this, Oppression also traditionally carries a strong connotation of conquest and colonial domination. New left social movements of the 60s and 70s, however, shifted the meaning of the concept of oppression. In its new usage, oppression designates the disadvantage and injustice some people suffer, not because of tyrannical power um, coerces them, but because of the everyday practices of a well-intentioned liberal society. I think that's that's a, quite a key phrase there. Oppression in this sense is structural, rather than the result of a few people's choices or policies. It co its causes are embedded in unquestioned norms, habits, and symbols. And then uh, Richard Delgado, he says this, ideology, uh, the received wisdom, makes current social arrangements seem fair and natural. Those who are in power sleep well at night. Their conduct does not seem like oppression to them. So this is a huge uh, contrast in, yeah, or just a, a definite way to understand oppression uh, from a critical theorist's point of view. And if you understand that dominance and oppression are produced, it's not produced by numerical size, it's not only by the majority, it's produced by hegemonic power, you'll understand that saying of like in, aimed in North America, it's like old white men rule the country in many ways. Demographically, there's only 15% of the US is in that category of old white men. So the minority, but they're a dominant group 
because they have the power to impose their old white male values on society. Uh, and for people in kind of a, in that society, they would say those values that they're espousing are natural and objective and common sense. But actually, what critical theorists would say, those values and uh, are only serving old white male interests. And, and in, in the South African context, we look at this and say, um, you know, if you had to ask you what's the most spoken language in South Africa. Yeah compared to the experience of the most spoken language in at least Cape Town, in our experience here, you might be surprised that English is not number one. English is not the second most spoken language in South Africa. It's not the third most spoken language, home language. It's the fourth. And yet, our experience of walking through Cape Town and experiencing what it's like in shopping centers, what we expect in many ways from our government in terms of what they say and the language that parliament has spoken in in many ways, different ways around saying, actually... Uh, English speaking, let's let's take uh, rest out of this particular conversation, mm-hmm. just just purely on language, and saying actually 9.6% of people in South Africa speak English as a home language, and yet what do we expect and anticipate from, for example, the government or uh, civil service, etc.? I want them speaking in my language in English. In many ways, I can Great walk around uh, and experience that English is the most censored or the most central language. When before that is Zulu, Kosa, Afrikaans, and then English. Other things that we think of in my hand, I would show you and page through the book is a junior school, as it was known back then, junior school standard four history book written in 1980. And, and what we know is that when we tell stories about what happened in the past, it's so easy to put people into groups of the, the heroes, the goodies and the baddies, right? right. And so in standard four, when, we were under, when I was being taught uh, history back then, it was clearly, there was a clear group that was uh, the goodies and then this group was the baddies. And when you unpack the language that is used to describe history, it's laden with meaning. Words matter. And the things of like who was, uh, one group is considered devious, but then another group doing the exact same thing is considered cunning. Mm. Slight ah. word difference, but explains like who's really right and who's really wrong here. And so this, this language of hegemonic power is, is, is used to be able to keep things in many, way, in many ways the way they are right now whether or not they serve the majority or not. And that's unpacking this hegemonic power as understood by critical theorists is that there's this dominant discourse used by the people who are the agent group or the people in power to keep things serving them and not serving most people. It's a great point, Grace Rich. That's so helpful that he literally has the textbook here in case you're wondering. Um, and it's not actually yours. It's, 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 it's your wife's, eh? Yes, yeah. But it's in here in the flesh, and we were paging through it now, and it's so it's so helpful to be actually just just see it in like see it in the fl- flesh, and that actually is is one of the two things that we want to affirm from from critical theory today um, is number one uh, oppression is real. There is such a thing as oppression. We've said before last time, and um, the Bible is full of examples of it, and um, in many ways calls for spiritual and practical um, liberation, if I, can, if I can say it like that. It's not, it, there's not just calls for liberation from sin, but there is a call for um, Christ followers to be working towards uh, liberation of, of people in much more physical, practical ways. Um, and so there, is, there are people who have power and abuse it to oppress others. But um, as you've heard now, the definition of uh, the oppression um, has has widened a bit, and it's, it, it incorporates this idea of hegemonic power. But what we want to say again and affirm is actually hegemonic power exists. We've just given a bunch of examples here, and we'll have one or two more now. But um, here's Neil Shenvey on this. He says, 
it can have an insidious effect on our norms and values. Um, here's an example that will resonate with conservatives. He's talking um, to his American audience. He says, think about how Hollywood and Madison Avenue define standards of beauty and sexuality. Think how hard we have to work as, as Christian parents to teach our children that women are not sex objects and that real beauty is internal and not merely external. And when he does his talk, he uses a picture of the Barbie doll. Um, but the way in which entertainment and advertising industries shape how we understand human value, um, what we place emphasis on, is an example of hegemonic power in respect to beauty. And we've had some big examples of this um, in, our, in our country in the last few days, yeah. uh, or at least from the time that we are recording this. It's, it's pretty recent. It might yeah. be a month old by the time you hear this. But um, Rich, do you want to talk to that about it? It's the, it's the example of clicks. You know, you know, it's so funny because on the day that the social media blew up with, with uh, clicks putting an, an advertising campaign out for a specific brand. I don't want to knock any brands and yeah. it's not my place to do that, but a particular brand advertising shampoo for normal hair. And then uh, the, the image was of a, uh, of a Caucasian female uh, and saying that's normal hair. And then another picture of a black uh, female hair saying there's this dry or dry fragile damage. There was a couple. There was, a, there was damaged and there was frizzy and yes, something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, a couple of political parties and many, many people across social media protesting and saying, like, how can you say that there's one type of hair that's normal and one type of hair that is dry and frizzy? And what's interesting is earlier that day, uh, I was in a shopping center and my wife said, go and buy shampoo. And uh, I stood in, this, in the aisle and I, if you can't see me right now, I don't have much hair on my head. I wasn't buying shampoo for myself. I was buying it for my daughters and my wife. And, uh, and I looked at this thing, I'm saying, okay, this one says normal hair, this one says dry hair, and this one says for curly hair. And I'm like, I have all of that in my family. And, you know, it was a point of interest for me that I couldn't find one. Mm. It wasn't a statement of my, the normality of my hair. Where I'm getting with that is like, yeah. if my hair doesn't fit into normal, what does it fit into? Is it abnormal? Yes. That's the implied messaging. And, yeah. and so... And what we're saying is like, for the longest time, you see stuff all over the place that favors one group, even though, again, a minority in the country, it's it, somebody in some ad agency somewhere in something said, it's okay to call this normal. This product is for normal hair and this product is for abnormal. Yeah. And I'm really seeing that's yeah. a lot of the protests and a lot of frustration around saying, how can you say that's normal? And this is, this isn't, we think about other things in, in, in our church context, um, uh, Andre in some way is our leader and the microphone that he has is... I was about to say yeah, that example, exactly. Is, is, is the, the headset microphone stands out on him because it's the color of a Caucasian skin. You know, it fits in neatly and looks, it almost disappears against my skin. Uh, can you buy uh, uh, plasters that suit black skin? You're saying like normal plasters, normal adhesive plasters. You have to go out of your way. What about Barbies? I went when, when my girls were into Barbies. I'm like, where do I find a dark-skinned doll? Right. Because this whole thing of affirming like this is normal, this is natural, this is expected, fits into a very narrow ex uh, segment of society. Yeah. And our children can end up growing and we can end up growing assuming that's normal and anything that is not that is and this is where the danger comes in, not normal. Mm. And when stuff is not normal, you either condescend to it or you fear it. It's great. It's not a sense of so there's good. something of beauty that we can celebrate yeah. difference. We can celebrate our diversity because that variety in 
the the presence in media and in what's normal it was presented as normal it's not there that variety is not there yeah even to the point of watching something with my daughters the other day on netflix and it was the first time I'd seen a movie. And it was a, like a kind of made-for-TV type movie. So it wasn't a, a major thing. Was, I think it was a dancing movie. And in that movie was a deaf child in a dance class. I'm like, I can't remember the last time I watched a movie about a, that had a character that was deaf that wasn't the main character and it wasn't about deafness. It was a movie about dancing. And right. there were what, what those uh, characters were doing in going to a dance competition or something. And I'm like, wow. Just one example helped me realize, like, the deafness is not represented on, on mainstream kind of uh, media. It's not considered normal. Where for many people in our society, that is normal to themselves or people in the family are experiencing that. Such a great example. I mean, you think I, was, the, I thought of the microphone was my first example thinking of that. But, I mean, when I was growing up, you like, the, the peach-colored... Uh, crayon yeah. was the skin color crayon. Yeah, yeah. That, that's how we described it. Even yeah. though, even though our, our class was 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 very multiracial, mm. um, but but you know that's that's how we called it and what we what we said of it. And uh, it was very cool to go to CNA the other day and see. I don't know if you've seen that new range of crayons for kids. Um, that is basically just the various skin tones from like light to 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 dark. It was yeah. very very cool crossing Fantastic, like all yeah. the sort of ethnicities and cult- cultural sort of. Um, uh, colors there so it was very very cool but this is a great example of um, hegemonic power and like personally this is just um i don't know how to i don't know how to state this because it's 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 my personal experience of life if i can say it like that it is it was someone else who, who said this statement and then i've now realized it's true and internalized it but um kyle peters is a statistical minority in this mm. country um but I don't feel like a minority. Mm. And that's the best way I can just I can describe it. And so America will talk about minority groups um, uh, in the in their country because uh, I think the population is maybe eighty one percent or maybe just in the late seventies of, mm. um, of 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 white people in America. Um, whereas here, as a white person, I am a minority, but. I don't feel like a minority, as you yeah. mentioned. The language—it's a forespoken language, but actually, I expect, I you know, I, I expect to hear English. I expect a whole whole bunch of things. I don't feel like a minority, and that yeah. is the that is the the, the the truth that exists of hegemonic power—the fact yeah. that it is that it is real. And I thought I would just um, throw that in there. Yeah. Even again, coming back to the language, like when you open up, you you have a young child, yeah. and uh, baby's not doing well. You open up the medicine. A pamphlet that comes with it it's only in two languages right yeah in, in such a critical thing when you're thinking about dosage of how much must i give my child that's helpful not harmful to have it in the third and fourth most spoken languages in the country only such a good point you know what i mean like yeah, there's, there's little things like i said let me not say they're little those are big things those yeah. are significant and and if we think about uh, feeling like a minority you're exactly right. That's speaking about the Western Cape, the demographics of our of our province. Mm. Um, if we had to ask a lot of young people uh, and old people too, I guess. Um, but I heard this experiment done in in a school setting. Is saying, okay, write down the what do you think the breakdown of demographics is in Cape Town. This was, that's where it was happened to be being done. And people did none. And most people across different schools said we believe white people is the majority. Hmm. And where does that come from? How does that work when actually in reality, 42% colored, 38% black, 16% white, and 4% Asian, Indian, and foreign national? So locating yourself in that, you're kind of going, the fact that you as as one of the uh, 15 to 16 percenters 
feel like a majority. It's something to do with not with the number of people, but how much stuff is structured around making you feel comfortable and feel like this is home for you. Yes. And that's in many ways what we're saying is in, in, in resonance with uh, critical theory is that how can it be that people in their own home city, their home country can feel like they're not at home? That's yes. a problem. Yeah. That's, that's, that's an issue. Yeah. That people don't feel like they can belong, don't feel like they can enter into somewhere and be fully celebrated, embraced and recognized. Yeah. And that's a, that's a problem that is going to be faced in more and more, um, what's the word I'm looking for, like multicultural mm. contexts or multicultural, um, cosmopolitan maybe is the word you could yeah, yeah. use, cosmopolitan countries, cities, um, it's going to be increasingly a thing. So we do want to affirm that that is a real truth that critical theory highlights, that critical mm. theory um, wants to address. Um, what we want to do now is try and have um, more of a conversation about teasing out maybe more of the nuances when mm. it comes to this and where where some of the flaws um, and incompatibilities with Christianity come up. And it's not so much about denying the truth of hegemonic power, yeah. but it's almost what to do with it or how to see it, um, how to move towards it, all those sorts of things. Mm. Um, so I'll just kick off and 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 we'll just we'll just have a bit of dialogue around this. But uh, the first is, and we've kind of touched on this, but the definition of oppression, uh, as critical theorists state it, it suffers from what, what guys call concept creep. And, um, and concept creep is not necessarily a bad thing. Words change their meaning over, mm. over time anyway. Um, and and, and we, we, we all know that. It's why we keep needing to sort of have updated Bible translations and, and that sort of thing as, as time changes. Um, but... Essentially, and I won't read the whole quote, but essentially Jonathan Haidt and some other guys, uh, I think they coined the phrase concept creep or at least speak to it. But they basically say what's what's happening in our in our world today, particularly around this kind of uh, these kinds of words um, around uh, surrounding oppression, violence. Uh, there's, there's sort of a, a group of words which are being used in the sort of social justice space. And they're just basically, basically making the point that um these words now have a much broader range and a much deeper range. And what they meant by that was saying, um, you mentioned earlier what Shemvi says, what historically was termed oppression, which was intentional acts of violence, mm. cruelty, things like that. Um, that's now widened to where critical theorists say um, you can go to sleep at night and it's, it's literally your, your best intent, the best intentions of a liberal society can are, can also be oppressive and can fall under that category of oppression. So that's the sort of width of it. Mm. The depth of it as well is the intensity of something. Um, uh, you know, they would use the example of violence. You know, violence used to have a very specific meaning in terms of physical harm, that sort of a thing. Whereas now, ideas can actually ideas and speech can fall under the concept of violence, which is actually doing a lot of damage to mm. younger people. But 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 that's the that's the idea, and so that's kind of what we're seeing here is that is that uh, you've got an idea of concept creep coming in, uh, or not even creep, but sort of inten intentionally redefining things to say, yeah. hey, this is now oppressive, um, and that is going to have a, a, a lot of a lot of um, ramifications. Um, you know, what is interesting is. And there's more threads coming into this here, but Andrew Wilson points out the fact that it's actually, and this is exactly like we've said, critical theory is coming from um, 
the Western world is, is shaping how critical theory comes about, and especially sort of the tertiary institutions yeah. and the educational realm. Um, and Wilson makes the point of saying, actually, it's in those places, which are typically actually quite privileged in terms of high education, you need a lot of money to get in there, all those kinds of things, is where the biggest howls of oppression are coming from, um, which is just very, very interesting. Hmm. Um, and, you know, a combination of concept creep, the definition change of oppression, plus the idea of what he calls um, Moynihan's law. I sent you a, a doc about this, and it was such, a, such an interesting doc, which is basically um, says the, the amount of violations of human rights in a country, um, said this guy called Patrick Moynihan a couple of years ago, um, is always an inverse function of the amount of complaints about human rights violations heard from there. So the greater number of complaints being aired um, uh, and the, the better protected a human uh, the human rights are in a country, um, the, the, the more cries of oppression you will hear. Right. And it's just so interesting that the better things get, the worse they seem is how mm. you can kind of summarize that. That was a bit of a long-winded way of saying mm. it. But it's so, it's, that can be so true in our conversations. And yeah. from an apologetics angle, when, you know, just being on campus and having conversations with, with people, often uh, um, suffering and oppression is, is a barrier to people coming to faith. Right. But it's mostly a barrier for people who are, are, are not necessarily experiencing suffering and oppression. Mm. And where there is the biggest experiences of suffering, poverty, injustice, oppression, is where I found people being most open to God and right. saying, actually, uh, I love Jesus. You know, it, it's just an interesting dynamic where yeah. it's the affluent places that are saying, um, we love God, we need God. And it's people who have more are using it as a, as a reason to as a barrier for them to, to actually come into faith. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've got any comments on this and we, there's, there's probably still more to be said here on, on this, uh, on this idea of um, the concept of oppression changing. Yeah. Um, maybe one thing more I'd add, sorry, and then I'll throw it back to you. But Michael Eaton <laughs> talks about, you can't, you can't take a current definition of something and read it back into the Bible's words of it. Right. So he uses the phrase of reverse etymology. And what he's saying is we get the modern English word of dynamite from the Greek word of dunamis, but we can't read our understanding now of dynamite back into that Greek word of right. dunamos. But yeah. the same, I would say, is true. Would you agree with me of of oppression? Not everything that can be termed oppression is oppression according to the Bible. And that could be on a number of levels, different different words, not just oppression. You could take the example of love, for example. Yeah, yeah. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I think we're... we're and, and I've seen other people getting... Uh, What's the right word? Criticized for weighing in on this kind of thing. So I'm, right. I'm cautious around how I, Sorry, I'm responding you, to this. Putting you, you under the bus here. You, you throw, throwing that dunamis in my hands now. Um, <laughs> so, you know, defining what is oppression and what is not oppression is always tricky. Right. And, and where, where my cons concern is, let me, let me rephrase it like that, is, you know, if so many things are oppression, including overt violent acts, if that's oppression and uh, just to use the example that I was saying earlier, that someone's home language is not represented on a, a medicine box. And calling that oppression as well doesn't feel equal. It doesn't right. feel like it, 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 it kind of in making so many things oppression, it, it can reduce the urgency around some of the more violent uh, expressions of that. Gotcha. And so I, I say that very tentatively because I do realize I don't feel like a minority. Yeah. I don't know what it's like to be on the outside. Yeah. So I, I, I tenor that as in, in, with, with hopefully the humility that helps you seeing it's like we can't call everything oppression um, because it may downplay what's more serious and what's less serious. Got you. Still important, but just less 
this, uh, yeah, this series. Got you. I mean, one sort of, if I can, if I can put it like this, um, conversation could go along the lines of, um, "Hey, you've said something to me. I'm, I'm, I'm offended by that, or I disagree with you on that. Um, maybe offense is not the right word, but I disagree on the idea or the concept or whatever you've told me. Um, therefore, you are oppressing me, um, mm-hmm. which is, which is often how." Uh, conversations can happen. Yeah. Um, you know, what are your, what are your comments on on that? The fact that someone does um, have a have an opinion or an idea um, that you disagree with is that automatically oppressing you? Right. And, and it, you know, it kind of connects as well with in this kind of current era that we have is self expression being who you really are is held as the highest virtue. So if you're saying I can or can't be, or I disagree with you, is not seen as just a difference of opinion. Yes. It's seen as kind of like, no, 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 you, it can be interpreted. And I've heard people say it, not everyone, but, but hearing them say, like, because you disagree with me, means you're oppressing me. Now, layering in, like, what the Bible is and what the Bible says, that creates some interesting tensions for folks who hold to critical theory and hold to the Bible mm. and trying to get the two to reconcile with each other. Because um, critical theory is built on the rejection of hegemonic power, as we've said, but the Bible is one big hegemonic discourse. If you think about it, written essentially by God through human agency across thousands of years. It's not a collection of random things from different people expressing their minds. It's inspired by God and, and by different human authors. And so it's one giant colossal hegemonic discord from start to finish. God has all the power in the universe. Yeah. And that's his word, the Bible. And God has told us the true story of reality in the Bible. There's one true story of religion, mm. one true story of morality, one true story of sexuality, one true story of gender, and so forth and so forth. And so it ends up being, or it follows that, holding to critical theory, you can end up mistrusting the Bible. And this is where I've seen people walk away from a, a rich understanding of the Bible to being saying things like, you know, I can't trust the Bible because it was translated by the white male hegemony. You know, saying you can't trust that translation because it's a white male, cisgendered, educated translators mm. were exerting their power when translating the mm. Bible. And, and that creates, I don't have to trust it. And in many ways, I can invent the translation that I want because I'm rejecting what's there, rejecting the hegemonic power being exerted by these translators and so on. What's ironic is that many people would say they can't trust the Bible because it's written by white translators do believe that a Bible written by black translators can be trusted. And that's more, and we're going to tie into what lived experiences and what, how that, yes. that narrative is understood. Yes. And so some of my concerns around, and again, it's not my rejection of, but my concerns around language of decolonizing the Bible or decolonizing the gospel, decolonizing the text, can run very close to saying, you can't trust the English Bible that you have because it's written by whites. And... Um, and so the, the natural implication of this, if you disagree with the Bible, if it has a narrative or it has a message that is perceived or understood to be hegemonic power being exerted upon you, you can disregard that and choose your own translation that better suits you. And so regardless of the, the uh, analytical and translation skills that are being used, you can then read into it what you want mm. in a way that doesn't offend or disagree or it states it positively, affirms what you want it to believe. And so we had to kind of push back against this kind of thing of saying, actually, not all Bibles were translated by white males. Mm. He's saying, go to a Japanese translation or an Indian, a Hindi translation, a Mandarin translation. Saying, Malagasy actually, translation. Malagasy, yeah. like, you know, going back, the, those translators didn't go from Greek and Hebrew into English and into Malagasy. It was straight from 
Greek to Malagasy and so on. And comparing those two things and saying that dismantles in many ways that, that criticism. But because critical theory in many ways is a North American English-based worldview, that's the language that's being used. You can't trust the, the hegemonic power with the, with the translation of the, power, the, the Bible. Can I jump in there as well? And one, one level up as well from that, if I can take it one, one level up, is you can even be a, a English-speaking white person um, you know, uh, in North America and still viewing, viewing hegemonic power as inherently bad is going to then lead you to eventually toss out the Bible altogether, yeah. not even just because of who's translated it, but by the fact that, as it says there, it's, it's, it's from a God who has all authority, who is saying, this is right, this is wrong, this is the correct narrative of the world and how you should see it. Mm. If you're going to reject hegemonic power, you're going to ultimately end up rejecting the God of the Bible, yeah. um, which is kind of part of the link that I was teasing back right in the first episode, saying one of the things that has led us, me personally, to having these conversations is because I've seen people um, in the social justice space um, that I know um, moving away from traditional, what's the word I'm looking for, orthodox Christianity. And I just couldn't understand why. But but if you are viewing justice through purely this lens and everything that is hegemonic equals evil, you are eventually going to arrive at having to tear down not only just who translated the Bible, but the Bible itself, even in its original languages because of the ultimate divine author who mm. has all power. And yeah. so that's just taking that one level up there. Spot on. And, and uh, you know, the context of that power is different in different places. So if we think about it, um, a white cisgendered male, Protestant, maybe add that in there too, <laughs> might be actually outnumbered in the context of a UCT classroom. And the hegemonic power in that context is oppressing him. Uh, but critical theorists don't see this as exerting their power. Rather saying, this is freeing people to see things correctly. It's, it's an interesting thing. I was saying, mm. like, when critical theorists are lobbying that people adopt their point of view, that's not exerting their power. Mm. It's freeing people. So it's an interesting dynamic around, in other contexts, a, a, a church in a predominantly Muslim nation. According to critical theory, the Christians would uh, be on the, on the oppressor side, not right. the oppressed. Right. But, but in other contexts, actually, that would flip around. And that's one of the, one of the criticisms against critical theories. It doesn't neatly apply outside of the North American context. Certain things do, but other things are going, and that's just a bit insufficient to, to, to explain that. Similarly, hegemonic power can shift as culture changes. And, and so to say that all hegemony is bad and evil and power is exerted on others needs to recognize that things change, culture changes, eras and epics change um, as we look back across history. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's the thing. It's like this is not a universal truth that you can bank your life on mm. because it just shifts so much yeah. and it's going to have to be redefined um, in different areas and different contexts, and so um, that it's that, that's that's in a huge contrast to the Christian faith, which is saying, "Hey, it applies in different contexts in different ways." Christianity and the gospel is found in different you know, cultural forms, expressions yeah. of worship. But actually, the truth of the Bible, the the hegemonic discourse that we mentioned, is an unchanging story. This is the one narrative. This mm. is the one God. Mm. This is the one way to salvation. And so um, that's another way where you're just unable to mix the two. Um, it's such a such a high level, clear. Yeah. way um another thing and we've touched on this um in terms of a sort of incompatibility but it, it does assume that all power imbalances are inherently bad and then therefore need to be dismantled and that's dismantling is kind of a big part of um the 
the modern social justice movement, if we mm, could mm. say that, which is which is where all our podcasts are ultimately going. Well, you know, what is the remedy in in critical theorists' minds? Um, but the, the the fact that the remedy is is to dismantle power structures assumes that all power structures um, are bad, are evil, and we already said. I mean, if, as a Christian, you you actually just can't hold that view because yeah. because God, firstly, is inherently all powerful. Um, he he is in control. He is in command, um, and uh, and so you already run up to a problem just on the straightaway yes. identifying Christianity. Um, I'm going to jump in there. That yeah, God is all-powerful. Um, we don't get to shape him to be what we want him to be. You know, like the way he yeah. self-reveals, reigning on a throne, uh, using the imagery of king sitting on a throne, yeah. which is a biblical image. It's like our uh, the call of Christ follows is to live in accordance with the king's decrees the way of the kingdom the way that he's designed the world and so we as citizens of that kingdom in many ways we don't get to say well because i disagree with your power you are no longer king right if you know what i mean 100%. So, so saying like i disagree with your hegemony i disagree with you calling me to more and to live a self-sacrificial life in the benefits of others and for the glory of it's like i disagree with that jesus is still on the throne <laughs> if that makes sense he 100%. is he's not a uh collection of laws or a philosophy that oh we're getting a better revelation of what god is now and he's more like this than has been for the last two thousand years and he's more dot dot dots and people are re like you're saying uh reverse etymologizing looking back and saying okay when god is saying he's love well he's really it's talking about this yes and when talking about God is just, well, he's, he's going after the oppressors and da, 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 and all of those kind of things and can read into and redefine and reconceptualize God to fit with their current worldview. And again, as we've been saying through all the, the whole of this podcast, our hope is that we have a God-sized view mm. of God mm. and that we're interpreting the world through the lenses that he gives us through scripture, not the other way around. Yeah, uh, a cheeky quote that I heard from someone was, um, the Bible used to say God created us in his image, but now we're trying to create God in our image. Spot on. And that's, the, that's exactly the, the, the thing that's happening. Um, and so not only does, if, you, if, if all power is inherently bad, affect your view of God, but then it's going to affect a whole bunch of things because the Bible is typically um, calling us to um, uh, work within power structures, to, to submit to power, to power structures, to um, pray for those in authority. Um, it, we mentioned that in the previous episode, but it's going to create massive problems when it comes to um, your views of um, the roles of husbands in a marriage, the roles of elders in churches. Um, if you think, regardless of even gender, but if you think that the power is a bad problem, you're going to want to neutralize um, um, any sort of distinction between those who are leading and those who are being led. Right. Um, then you add into the mix um, uh, the, the categories of, well, who is oppressed and who is oppressor and intersectionality. And it's why when, you, when you're having discussions around gender and eldership or the roles of uh, Christian marriages and husbands and wives and marriages, um, often not only exegetical understandings of what the texts say come into the equation, but also um, assumptions at times um, that uh, it, it, it can't say this because, right. um, because it, it, of hegemonic power and the fact that it is wrong and therefore must be dismantled. Mm. Therefore, the Bible cannot say that um, men are elders or, or husbands are the head of their homes or things like right. that. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
Um, so, I mean, that's huge. And then you just come to think of it. I mean, imagine you lived in a society where Christianity was no longer a, and I suppose we were here in a lot of ways in the Western world, where Christianity is no longer the sort of creative minority, but the gospel has worked out in society to the point where you now have quite a Christianized society. Right. And in many ways that, that was Christendom. Um, and that was the, the hegemonic power. Um, Christian values were the, were the hegemony. Um, mm. if you're a Christian, you can't be actively working to tear down the good things that Christianity has put into society. Um, right. And so uh, that's where it falls flat again as a Christian to just blank, blankly say hegemonic power is evil. Mm. Um, all the good things of Christianity that gets instituted into culture and institutions um, is, is for the good and yeah. is godly. And, and we're actually working to make systems. That's the thing. As Christians, we're making to work systems. Uh, we're working to make systems um, as 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 godly as possible, but the, the systems are still going to be there. Systems yeah. are still going to be there, and we're, we're we're working to shift them and make them more godly. But you can't just tear down every right. every system. Spot on. Maybe the last thing I'd say here, uh, you can jump in as well, is um, that it it forces us to make judgments on people's intentions. Mm. Now we spoke about this last time, talking about the innocent um, the innocent aisle moment where yeah. you both got your trolleys and someone needs to let the other person pass. Um, and that's just one small example of it. But but this and, and again, this will come up in the next episode of, of of lived experience and our interpretations of reality. But um I mean I've just noticed this when it comes to Bible commentaries and people making mm. comments on Bible commentaries saying that, well, that person assumes that that verse means something because they're trying to uphold their 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 privilege and they're yeah. trying to um, maintain their power. And I've just thought that is a that's a crazy thing to to assume mm. um, that you know. I mean, let's take a commentary from five hundred years ago, for example. It's quite a bold statement to say, "Hey, you know that person's heart intention." Right. When a that person's been dead for five hundred years, and based on what they've said, you are inherently assuming what their motives were and what their intention is. I mean, that to me goes against. You run the risk of bearing false testimony there yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, by by assumption, um, and yet this. In many ways, this is what this does. If, 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 if you are doing something or saying something, it's automatically because you're trying to maintain your power. Right. Any, 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 any comments on? Yeah, I on mean, that? I, I had that experience recently uh, when I was leading a moment, and even just choosing the particular passage of scripture that I was going to read, people misinterpreted my intentions on that. Right. And it was like the Sermon on the Mount. I went through the entire Sermon on the Mount. Right. All three chapters, <laughs> skim, skimming it. But there was issue on the fact that I spoke into, you know, forgive those, you know, forgive others. Right. Like, and they're kind of like, no, you don't have the right to say that to me. I'm like, I, I, I didn't write that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But no, you chose that. I'm like, no, I didn't choose that. I chose the Sermon on the Mount, which cuts both ways on, on, on all of these perspectives. And I encourage you to read through the whole sermon as a sermon, not just as a collection right. of little wisdoms that you just, I'm going to take these three verses for myself, you know. But like calling people to be reconciled to others. That's not a uh, that's not a white person's idea, but I can understand. I have empathy yeah. how that has been misused in the past to say, you know, if you've got an issue, well, be reconciled, right? Uh, and there isn't this self reflection of actually wait, 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 wait a minute. I've had a part to play. I also need to reconcile if I've done wrong, not not only the wronged one. And so, you know, reading into other people's intentions, I'm not Jesus. I don't know what your intentions are. I, you know. 
I want to, I would like to be that kind of a leader. <laughs> and I'd say that uh, <laughs> with the, you know, you've got to state humility. It was like, I, I, I want to be that kind of believer. I always get that right. That when you say something, or when you're reading scripture, when you're praying for me, you, you're preaching a sermon, I'm trying to hear what God is saying. I'm not trying to hear what you're saying. And the fact that you yeah. didn't say this, or you said that with that tone, or you didn't make an application specifically to my exact context of me and in my where I'm at in life with three kids and da 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 da. Yeah. I was like, no, 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 I'm trying to hear what you are saying, not trying to take issue with what you didn't say. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a nuanced thing. Yeah. Um, I think to you know turning that corner around, like what is the gospel lens? What's the gospel hope? What's the biblical and pastoral things that we can take away about hegemonic power? Yeah. I think first of all is saying like like you're saying, not all hegemonic power is bad or evil or wrong. If I just look at the, the life of Jesus, many people would quote saying ah, Jesus gave up the power of heaven and the, the the privileges of heaven. Stepping, looking at Philippians two, and what did yes. he what did he give up and what did he kind of take on himself in incarnating? And they kind of end the story there. But he returns to heaven in glory. He reassumes the power sure. that he gave up. And the power that Jesus uses is for the liberation of others, not the oppression of others. Mm. And so all the way through scripture, God is using his power to, and I'm choosing this word carefully, free his people mm. or free people that are constrained by sin and oppression. Look at about liberating the, the Israelites out of, out of Egypt. Living, liberating people who are constrained by sin, by mm. demons, by illness, by all of these different things. You look yeah. at how and then saying, I can be freed from being self-serving, selfish person who rebels against everything and be adopted into a kingdom of the most powerful kingdom <laughs> in all of creation, all the universe. Being part of that powerful kingdom doesn't make me an oppressor. Mm. It makes me a liberated sinner, mm. one who can stand with joy and with peace and explore how I can use what I've been given to ensure that others are not oppressed. So good, Rich. So helpful. Maybe we could wrap up with just a few uh, sort of other pastoral comments or, you know, lenses to think through this stuff and just wrapping up kind of what we've chatted about here. I mean, I think it's 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 huge for us to just continue studying our Bibles. Yeah. Um, and and to submit ourselves to the authority of the Bible. Like if 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 you're someone who is who is on the spectrum of saying Authority must be torn down. Um, but, but all of us, though, any, including that person, whoever you might be, is to say, actually, we all need to come under the authority of the Bible. If you're yeah. considering yourself a Christ follower, um, we need to submit to God's word um, and submit to God, recognizing that there is a hegemonic power. The ultimate hegemonic power is God. Yeah. Um, but he is good. He's not, he's, not, he's not doing things just to maintain his power and oppress us. He's doing sure. things to... to uphold the whole world yeah. by his power yeah. um which is you know what the scriptures say and so we need to keep being in our bibles um and then and i would say we want to conform our definitions our ideas our concepts our responses around the bible and uh, yeah. in whatever in whatever um category that is right if it's if it's love i don't want to define love how my culture is defining love mm. i want to define it how god defines it, how yeah. the bible defines it um whether it's intimacy we had a great conversation last night at life group around um the world right now can't seem to tear apart intimacy and sex, but the Bible's definition of intimacy is much bigger than sex. Yeah. Um, people can have intimate relations with each other that, that, that aren't sexual. We have intimate relations with God. Um, right. We don't call those sexual relations. Right. Um, and the same is true, I think, when it comes to um, uh, concepts of what power is, what oppression is. We, we want to be 
as clear as we can mm-hmm. around around um, not just making sort of suitcase words and just putting as many definitions as as possible yeah. in there. Yeah. Um, when when it comes to, for example, if the Bible talks about acts of violence, we need to be we, we need to understand what the author's intent. This comes yeah. basically down to understanding how to do hermeneutics and read your Bible. Mm, but the idea is, mm. well, what was the original author getting at when they wrote that? It's unfair to treat an original author um, by reading into their words a whole bunch of things that they weren't intending. So we yeah. need to figure out what was the author's intent when they wrote that word, when they were coming up with that concept, um, or when God was saying that thing. Yeah. What was he intending there not and not just putting our own intentions into Spot it? On there. And, and, and queuing off there, um, words matter. Uh, our words matter, and what we are saying makes a difference. Words are loaded. As I mentioned earlier about the, the history textbooks, those words were chosen to communicate a specific message, and yes. there may be words in our vocabulary that are, without any of our intentions, communicating a message of whether someone's welcome or not, belongs mm. or not. And so I, I would encourage us all to examine what words we're using to describe things. When we have an event and, you know, I don't know if you've noticed, but I specifically did not mention the, the demographic group that the person that I had a trolley incident with. Sure. Why? It's actually not part of the discussion. It's so easy for me to define that entirely in line of, of this group, that group, this word, that word, et cetera, et cetera. And there may be certain words that for certain people um, trigger them in a certain way because they hold far more significance than we give to them. Let's be compassionate. Yeah. Let's be people who have a clear understanding of what biblical words are, but when understanding that we may do it in a way, we may be communicating mm. truth in a way that's unloving, uncaring, mm. insensitive, and call ourselves saying, let our speech liberate others, let our speech free others, let our speech be grace upon others. So good. So good. I mean, but off the back of that as well, you know, our, our heart and compassion, we need to continue to cultivate a heart for oppressed people yeah. uh, like in, however they are oppressed in whatever category or, yeah. or group they find themselves in um jesus had that heart you know we've yeah. said we've said it a, a, many times um and so we we we, we want to open ourselves up we want to ask god help me soften me change yeah. me wh- whatever whatever you need to do it's, that's such a bold prayer in any yeah. context but say jesus whatever you need to do to make me this type of person do it yeah. man yeah. that's a dangerous prayer but it's probably the prayer we all need to pray, yeah. um, especially around this, is is God help me to be the kind of person, um, especially if 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 you also mostly identify maybe in the oppressor category. Um, mm, mm. Make sure we're not callous to those um, yeah. who are in the in the oppressed category um, slash are oppressed. Uh, yeah. you know the both and. Um, and then, I mean, the last thing we kind of mentioned it, we spoke in detail, but we have to avoid making judgments yeah. on people's hearts, motives, and intentions. Um, an often misused verse of Paul is to say that um, um, we're not we're not meant to judge other people. Now, what that often, how people often interpret that is to say, um, is we're not meant to judge what people do or say as Christians. And that's not what Paul's getting at. Mm. Um, you know, we, we, what we often use as an excuse to have any sort of Christian confrontation with someone. Um, what Paul's getting at is don't judge what's, what's underneath the person's heart, what they are thinking, why mm. they're thinking things, why they're saying things. Um, if, 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 your, if your Christian brother is doing something blatantly sinful and hurtful to a yeah. bunch of other people in the church, um, you can't just say, Paul told me not to judge. Yeah. No, no, no. You need to judge and say, actually, that line, I'm making a judgment call here. That act was out of line with the gospel, and we need mm. to make a plan here. But what Paul is getting, getting at is don't be someone who assumes heart motives and assumes yeah. intentions. That's where we really run the risk of, yeah. of, of not being Christ-like. That's it, Sam. 
And I think um, queuing up from, from, from that is one thing we can do is expand the voices that influence us. Uh, this is less of a pastoral thing and kind of more is like expand who you listen to. Mm. Often if you self-reflect and say, who's my favorite author, the last five books that I read, what grouping were they from? And this isn't just aimed at people in the presser group. It's aimed at human beings, right? Yeah. And saying all of this and saying, are we creating an echo chamber of people around us that never confront us, never challenge us, never expand our thinking? I, I, I realized recently that most of the authors I was reading were male. I hadn't, it wasn't a deliberate choice. Yes. And I made a decision for a year to read women's uh, a book written by women and deliberately saying I'm going to put this book down and pick this book up is that a moral right or wrong thing no 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 I'm just saying like I don't want to be constricted and saying I'm only hearing the same kind of voices I, I look at the who the heroes are on television shows with the kids that are uh, that we were watching I, I took my son I, I don't like hip hop just from a preference point of view but i'm like i need my son to be exposed to other musicians other music styles to appreciate it and he loves like hip-hop and took him to a live show i'm like this is stretching my comfort zone but it's good for me and it's good for him Mm. now you know what books i listen to what music i listen to try things out go and explore go beyond what is normal and familiar because as you explore other things you'll realize that the hegemonic power of saying this is normal this is normal this is normal you realize like that, that's that's messed up. <laughs> that actually there's so much beauty and diversity yeah. around this the style of entertainment, this type of comedian, etc., etc., etc. He's saying like I don't have to listen to things or explore things or be entertained by people who look just like me. Actually, expand that to be uh, I say influenced, but it's 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 that kind of thing. Like what am I consuming? What am I participating in? Is it only people who like me? Mm. Or I'm actually exploring very deliberately on purpose for myself and my family. Um, YouTube channels that I watch, for example, mm. radio stations I tune into, all of those kind of things come into saying, am I growing my understanding of what is normal? Because in many ways, who am I to say that my way is normal? Yeah. And I fully agree with that. Expand what you're sensing. Enjoy the diversity that we have. Ask, share recipes of other dishes. Heritage Day, uh, it, it could be a, a simple day that you could celebrate the diversity of someone else's culture and you have a conversation with it. I'm finding out stuff all the time about so other cultures because I want to be curious. So I find out some, I mean, I don't want to give a detailed story, but it's like what meals are cooked on, on Christmas day and how do you do this? And how do you celebrate birthdays? Yes. I'm unaware. Ignorant might be a better word. I need to self-educate myself and my family that the way that we do Christmas birthdays, Sundays, whatever, that's not normal. Yeah. It's, just, it's just the way we do it. Yes. There's other people's normals. It's yes. just the way they do it. That's so helpful, Rich. We'll, we'll, we'll end there. But um, what I was thinking of is, as you were talking, there's, there's timeless truths that we want to hold on to, right? In, mm. in, 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 in all cultures and hegemonic powers sometimes will be bringing, bringing forward timeless truth, which is godly. And we want to hold on to that. But where something isn't a timeless truth that we need to hold on to, um, there's a lot of freedom for us to explore, as you're saying, and encourage yeah. diversity and encourage um, appreciation of diversity and cultivate yeah. a heart that loves it and wants to learn and know more and 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 ex- expand our range. Otherwise, we will only be in that echo chamber of the hegemonic power mm. that might be full of some timeless truth, but also full of stuff where we could be so different and, yeah. and maybe should be different. And right. so I think that's such a such a helpful pastoral note. Cool. 
Thanks so much for joining us again on an episode of Strange Days. Uh, next time we'll be back uh, continuing to put building blocks um, as we build up the picture of what critical theory is and we'll be looking at the, the concept of uh, the lived experience. Uh, but thanks so much for joining us again and I'm so glad to have had another conversation with Rich. Rich, thank you so much. Thanks, Carl. Appreciate the time. Learning as we go along. It's great. Exactly. We'll see you next time.